Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So let's um, uh, let's let's do uh, wrap up chapter nine as we discussed. Um, again, if you're joining in with us and you haven't yet chimed in, let us know who you are, where you're watching from. It'd be great. Any prayer requests, we can pray for those um, towards the end. As we've been praying already this morning, a, a very precarious time in our culture um, where we have uh, incredible civil unrest, incredible um, racial uh, divide, um, in certain sections of our community and our culture and our America. And if we were to able, my understanding, if we were able to go back into the first century and understand the, the race, racial, ethnic division between the Jew and the Gentile, my understanding, and I haven't, you know, I wasn't there, but my understanding is that the racial divide and ethnic divide between the Jew and the Gentile in the first century was light years beyond what we experience even now in America or even any time in the past. And I don't have time to go into why it was that way. We've done that. We've talked about that in the past, but there was a major cultural um, uh, divide between, and, and namely, it came about because of the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law said that it was you were you a Jew became unclean if you ate with or touched with or entered into the house of a Gentile, and so you had the Mosaic Law, the six hundred thirteen laws of the Jews that created this this uh, distance, this uh, social distance, if you will, between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so within the Jewish community, there was a great um, uh, um, sense of, of arrogance and pride. Look at who we are. We are the Jewish people. We are the ones who are given the promise. We are, et cetera, so forth. And you Gentiles, we we get dirty. We are spiritually unclean if we even come in contact with you. And so you do that for generations upon generations upon generations. And you have great uh, ethnic and racial divide between the Jew and the Gentile as a result. You can read about it a little bit in Acts chapter 10, when God told Peter to go to a Gentile's house. And Peter's like, are you kidding me? I've never even touched. I've never ever in my life defiled myself in such a way of going into a Gentile's house. And he thought God was crazy. So there was an incredible racial divide between the two. By the time the gospel comes around, the resurrection of Jesus, the church forming in Acts chapter 2. We have to remember in Acts chapter 2, the church was 100% Jewish. There was no Gentile faction, Gentile element of the new Christian church. From Acts chapter 2 until really Acts chapter 10 and 11, there were, it was Jewish only, probably 10-ish some odd years, give or take. I'm not exactly sure on that. But for many years, it was Jewish only. And there was reason for that. We've tried to discuss this a little bit, but the reason for that is because all of the promises of the Old Testament were promises to the Jew. That, that was the understanding, the promise of land, the promise of inheritance, the promise of victory, the promise of domination, the promise of enough a dough in your kneading bowl, enough oil in your flask. All of these promises that you read about in the Old Testament through the law were promises specifically given to the Jewish people. And so 
the rationale amongst the Jewish people was if, if we are going to, uh, if the salvation thing coming from the offered by and through the Jews, because Jesus himself was born into the Jewish lineage of the uh, ancestry of Judah himself. If this thing of Christianity is from and for and of the Jews, then anyone who wants to take part in this thing of of Christianity must become a Jew. If Christianity, if what Jesus has done is the fulfillment of the promises, and that's what they certainly believe in, and so do we, but here's where we would differ. If Since it's a fulfillment of the Old Testament promises towards the Jewish people, then the only way for anyone to be a part of this is for you to become a Jew. You denounce your Gentileism and you convert through baptism to being a Jew so that you're now clean because you weren't, you're not clean. You're not a part of the club, club Israel, unless you join in with us through conversion, not just to Christ, but conversion to Judaism. And that was the understanding, whether we like it or not, that was the understanding from Acts chapter two, all the way through Acts 15 and really beyond. It was a difficult time for, uh, Gentile believers. There was confusion. There was, do I become a Jew in order to trust Christ? There were some that Paul ran into many years later in the book of Acts that says, uh, you, uh, he, he, they said, we've not even heard of Jesus's baptism. We've only heard of John's baptism. And so there was great confusion over how someone is saved, what you must do in order to be saved, and the and the common uh, understanding coming out of Israel, coming out of Jerusalem, the Jew- Jewish church was, you need faith in Jesus, but then you, if you're not a Gentile, you need to be converted to Judaism, because all these promises are for the Jewish people, and the only way for you to be a part of the promises of the new kingdom, the new covenant, etc., is for you to join in with the Jewish kingdom, the Jewish uh, uh, nation, through conversion and through adherence to the Mosaic law. And so then you have Paul, who is... Um, educated by Jesus himself for three years in Arabia, and he's educated by Jesus on what the truth really is, that this isn't about Jew and Gentile, but this is actually about a death and a resurrection. This is about the ending of who you once were in Adam so that a whole new life, a whole new creature, a whole new creation could be born, not from below, not from uh, 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 slavery in sin and death, But our new mother is Jerusalem above, free. And so this knowledge and this understanding of the finished work of Christ and a new creation and a new life was given to the Apostle Paul and to others. But but the Apostle Paul was the champion of this as we have the New Testament today who started going on these, what we call missionary journeys around the Mediterranean world to set the record straight, saying it's not about Jesus plus conversion to Judaism and all these laws, rules, and regulations. It's Jesus plus nothing. And his, his life comes in you. His spirit comes to rest in you and to reside in you, to lead you and guide you. Because as soon as the apostle James, or not the apostle James, he died. James, the brother of Jesus in Acts 15, when they, when this, this, issue came to a a, a council, a meeting. They had to make a decision on this, whether or not Jews, Gentiles could become Christians or not, and not become Jews also. James said, we read it a few weeks ago in Acts 15. He said, you know what? Okay, fine. Let's don't force them to become Jews. I'm paraphrasing. Just tell them about Jesus, and and, and I'm paraphrasing, this is what he says in Acts 15, if they really want to know the truth, while Moses is being preached in the synagogues around the known world, so they'll find the truth, and the truth is found in Moses. And that was this great division between Paul and Jesus' very own brother, James, in Israel, in, 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 uh, in Jerusalem. And so Paul is out there trying to set the record straight that no, you do not convert to Judaism in order to become a born again believer because it's not about the flesh. 
It's about the Spirit. It's about a whole new heart, a whole new life. And so when Paul writes this letter we call Romans to the Romans, he had never been there. He had never, you know, done his, you know, lectures on the new heart and the new creation. And so he writes it out and he writes down what, uh, to the Romans, what he said to the Galatians, what he said to the Philippians, what he said to the Ephesians, what he said to the Thessalonians. He, he, he just simply wrote, and we have a record of it through all these generations later of what Paul would say orally to all these other places but because he had never been to Rome, he wrote it down. And so here's the background. When, when you, we read the scriptures, we need to know the background of why this particular <clears throat> uh, uh, emphasis is being made. <clears throat> and the emphasis in Romans from the very beginning is we are commissioned to bring people, Gentiles, to the obedience of faith. It's faith. It's faith in Jesus, not the obedience of faith in Jesus plus obedience to the Mosaic law, Judaism, but it's obedience of faith, period, nothing else. And so he says, we maintain chapter three, we maintain opposed to them. We maintain that a man is made just by faith in Jesus apart from works of the law. And see, that was a different message. That was a different teaching than what was coming out of Israel, what was coming out of, uh, of, of the church of Jerusalem. It was faith in Jesus plus conversion to Ju Judaism, adherence to the commandments in order to do this thing. And Paul, he uses like a skilled lawyer, defense after defense, <clears throat> um, uh, evidence after evidence of people from the Old Testament who proclaim that it's always only ever been about faith. Abraham, he quotes Abraham in chapter four, David in chapter four, he uses them as examples. And in chapter five, he starts getting into how mankind became what it was in this state of physical death, des destruction. It was through Adam because of Adam's sin, sin passed to the entire world because all sinned. And then because of one man, Jesus, because of his act of righteousness, death and resurrection, all who believe in him have now passed from death unto life. And then he explains in chapter six and seven, this glorious, glorious reality of what the law actually came to do that came to increase sins. And they're trying, he's like, you, you, People are out here trying to get you to live by the law. And I'm telling you, my testimony is that I sinned all the more when I went under the law as a good Jewish boy, Saul of Tarsus. Coveting exploded within me. I didn't even know what coveting was until I read it. It said, don't covet. Then a coveting exploded within me. And so the law came in. So sinning would increase, not decrease. And so he explains how there's a new heart that the old man has died and a brand new heart has been birthed. And he even says that this new heart is as uh, obedient. It's so perfectly obedient because it's been born of God himself, joined to him, a new heart, a new creation. And so now in chapter eight, he gets into the glory. Okay, now what? Now there's no more condemnation. There's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law could not do, God did. The law could not make you righteous. The law could not make you obedient. The law could not make you clean. It couldn't make you um, uh, walk the straight and narrow. But God did through his work of forgiveness of your sins and then subsequent um, uh, new birth by faith in him, through faith in him, you are now what you long to be apart from him by means of the law. You are obedient from the heart. And then you get into this issue of, okay, well, then how does that reflect in our actions and our behaviors? And the Christians from Jerusalem were very clear that in order for Gentile behaviors to improve, they need to be put under the law. They need to abstain from this. They need to start doing that, etc. And Paul is saying, no, we don't start by faith in Jesus and then graduate to a list of laws and rules command. We start in, by faith in Jesus and then we continue by faith in Jesus. It's a continual dependency on his spirit 
The mind set on the spirit of God within is life and peace. But the mind set on the flesh, on, on controlling the flesh and managing the flesh and modifying sins, etc., that's death, Paul says. So let's continue the same way we started, by faith. And then Paul says this glorious thing at the end of chapter 8. He says, it's a predestined plan of God that our bodies actually become as holy and righteous and conform to the image of Christ as our heart already is. It's the predestined plan of God. Nothing could stop it. Not the height, depth, width, nothing could separate us from it. It's the predestined plan of God. And so now in chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul goes into this amazing clarity on why uh, on, on, on the foolishness, quite honestly, the foolishness of this teaching coming out of Jerusalem that, you, that Gentiles must become Jewish in order to really be a part of the kingdom. We started looking at this last week and we're going to wrap up chapter 9 today and we'll go to 10 and 11 in the coming weeks. But what I want us to start with like we did last week because chapter 9, 10, and 11, unfortunately, have, I, I think, been totally misunderstood to teach something that it has, it's not teaching at all. And we got into the discussion on this last week in the, um, in, during our discussion time that follows. I encourage you to join in the discussion time afterwards by following the link there in the, um, uh, in the email that I sent. And I don't know if I, I didn't put it in this um, I'll try to get that link put here into the comments. I tell you what, while I'm teaching, could somebody uh, just find that email that I sent out that has the link to the um, to the discussion group and just put that link in the comment section and I'll pin it so that it comes up. That way I don't have to go to my documents and find that, that particular link. Um, that'd be great. Um, so anyways, the uh, so now, so on chapter nine, what I wanted to do is actually start like we did last week with the end. So we see the content. We see where Paul's going. Because if we if we start in chapter one, nine, verse one and walk our way through, we can easily come to a point, um, a conclusion that many other people have have come to that I don't think is proper at all. And so let's start in verse 30. 31, 32, and 33. He says, what shall we say then? This is his conclusion in chapter 9. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. So here's the conclusion. Gentiles attained righteousness by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. So here's the conclusion from Paul of chapter nine. The Gentiles get in because Gentiles of all, even though they were the wicked, despised people of the Old Testament, they actually get in because they just simply depend upon Jesus. Whereas Israel, the Jew, is not included, not in the kingdom of heaven, because they did not pursue it by faith. And then he gives a quote from the Old Testament. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. There's a stumbling stone in the way of the Jews getting into the kingdom of heaven, getting into the new covenant. And that stumbling stone is faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul, in the quote here goes, he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The stumbling stone is faith, belief in Jesus Christ. And if you believe, you won't be disappointed. But if you do not believe, if you reject faith in the in the finished work of Christ and what he's actually done for you, if you reject that, then here's what happens. What happens is you end up uh, uh, separate from the kingdom of heaven, excluded from the kingdom of heaven. And here, here's the great tension. Again, put ourselves in their shoes. Wait a minute. You're telling me that the Jew who all the promises were for are actually the ones excluded from the kingdom of heaven because they didn't have faith in Jesus? And I hear Paul saying, exactly. Exactly. There's only one way, regardless of your ethnicity, there's only one way, and it's by faith in Jesus. And so if you're a Jew, it's faith in Jesus. If it's a Gentile, it's faith in Jesus. Period. End of sentence. Regardless of your ethnicity, it's faith in Jesus. 
And so, remember, Paul says, we maintain that man is made just by faith apart from the works of the law. And so that's where Paul is going. The conclusion of chapter 9 is, so what then? So, so what shall we say? The Gentile has, a, has, a, has accomplished, if you will, righteousness because they found it by faith. The Jew has not found righteousness because they are thinking it comes by works. There's a stumbling stone in front of Zion, a stumbling stone in Jerusalem, and that's faith in Jesus. Because they thought, because of who they were by birth, by ethnicity, they were automatically in. And Paul educates them in chapter 9 to say, no, it's, you're not automatically in. And again, before we get into reading chapter 9, why is Paul even talking about this? Why does Paul even bring this up for three chapters, 9, 10, 11? Why does he even bring this up? It's because the common teaching and understanding was that in order for a Gentile to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew. And Paul is saying that, wait a minute, the Jews themselves at large aren't even in the kingdom of heaven, the new covenant, because they didn't discover it by faith. And so this, un, this teaching, this, this false gospel out there that you have to convert by baptism into Judaism to be a believer, is, it's a farce. It's ridiculous because not even the Jews are in the kingdom of heaven if they are putting their hope in their works. That's why he's talking about this. And so I'm going to go back to chapter verse one, and I'm going to quickly read the first 18 verses because that's what we looked at last week for context. And then we're quickly going to look at the remaining few verses of chapter nine, and then we'll do chapter 10 next week. He says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. I, Paul, have great anguish and sorrow in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's agonizing over them for their rejection of Jesus, who are Israelites, who, to whom belong the adoption of sons and the glory of the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple services and the promises, whose are the father and from whom the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. So Paul is saying, look at what they have. Look at what they're promised. My heart is in anguish over them because they have rejected Jesus. And now verse six, but it's not as though the word of God has failed, has it? For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Paul is opening their eyes to see, guys, this isn't just about physical descendancy from a guy named Abraham. There's, what, there's a promise made and that promise is about faith. Nor are they children because they're Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, verse 8, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For it is written, for, for it is the word of the promise. Verse 9, at this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And and, and I'm not going to explain all that right now. I did last week, if you if you didn't catch that please uh, uh, go back and listen to the podcast or watch the video from last week. So, but, but Paul is basically saying, just because you're a physical descendant and your name is Israel, does, and you're an Israelite, doesn't mean that you're in the kingdom of heaven. It's not about physical descendancy. It's about understanding this promise. And this promise was always about faith, believing. Verse 10, not only this, but there was Rebecca also. When she conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And we talked about this last week, but the point is they didn't do anything. These twins, Jacob and Esau, they didn't do anything to deserve one serving the other. They, were, they weren't even born yet. So Paul's point is, what did they do? What did they do? What laws did they keep in order for one to be favored over the other? It was just God's choice of who would serve the other. And there's a great sim, uh, uh, symbolism in all that that I talked about last week. Verse 14, but what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God. Is there? 
May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. What's the whole context of chapter 9? The Gentiles found salvation because they found faith. The Jews rejected salvation because they rejected faith. So who is it? Who is in this illustration, in this comparison, the man who runs for it? The man who, who's will, trying to will it to happen? Who is? That's the Jew who's trying to achieve salvation by his, uh, by his actions, by his works. And Paul's saying it, it's not what it's based upon, but it's a based upon God who has mercy and those who place their faith in that mercy that he is offering. And then he gives this verse 17 that leads us into what we're going to wrap up with today. For, F-O-R, he explains himself, the scripture says to Pharaoh, now go way back to Exodus, Pharaoh, let my people go. They were in, in slavery. The children of God, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. He says to Pharaoh, the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you, Pharaoh, up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole world. So Paul is reminding them that God has in the past raised up an individual for the purpose of his power and his might, his glory being pronounced around the world. And how did he do that with Pharaoh? By hardening Pharaoh's heart against the Jew, the plagues came and they came and they came. And eventually the people of God were set free from Egypt and the, um, the Red Sea split and people of God walked across on dry land. And you, you think this, the news of this didn't spread around the world? Yes, it did. Of course it did. And so what Paul is saying is God chose in this time in history to raise someone up so that his power might be displayed to all others. Now, what was the end of Pharaoh? It was destruction, but it was God's choice to raise Pharaoh up, even though he would end in destruction, to make his name known amongst the rest of the world. Verse 18, so then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. Now, what is the context? Jew and Gentile. Gentile, I was over here. Gentile, having faith in Christ Jesus, understanding that it's all about dependency upon him, there's mercy. The Jew, however, stumbling over faith because of their thinking, their misunderstanding that salvation comes by law keeping, which it can never, it never was promised. The salvation by law keeping was never a promise of the law. It never was. But that's what they thought. That's what they misunderstood it as. And so Paul is saying the, gen the Gentile has come in because of faith. The Jew has been excluded because of rejection of faith, the stumbling. And here's the point. Here's, I believe, the point that Paul is getting at. And he, he explains it in great detail in chapter 11. We're only in chapter 9. So you have to kind of not trust me. I mean, read ahead. But I I'm, I'm, I'm explaining chapter 9 in light of chapter 11. What Paul is getting at is that there has been a hardening of the nation of Israel. Partial, not complete, but a partial hardening of the nation of Israel, which I believe the law was a big part of. God giving the law, it resulted in the hardening of their hearts against faith in God. That was the stumbling block so that the gospel would be spread mightily to the ends of the earth. And so Paul is comparing Pharaoh to the Israelites, just as God raised up Pharaoh, hardening him so the gospel would go away, go, go uh, so that his great fame would be known around the world. God has hardened the Jews at large, not everyone, but at large. So the gospel would go around the world through the Gentiles. So let's keep reading. Verse 19, you will then say to me, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? In other words, how can God blame Pharaoh if Pharaoh was just simply a result of God's um, divine intervention and, and was hardened by God? 
or in this context with the Jew, how can God find fault with the Jews who reject faith if God was the one who gave them the law and there was a hardening of their hearts against faith because of the law? How can God find fault in them? Well, Paul answers, he says, on the contrary, who are you, O man? Let's, let's, let's put things into perspective. Who's man and who's God here? Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? I mean, he's God. He's the one who flung the stars into space. Who are you to like try to think you know more than he does? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me this way, will it? That's not how it works. There's a sovereign God in control of this thing of his name, his fame being spread around the world. Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make out of the same lump vessels for honorable use and others for just common use? I mean, if you've ever made pottery, Paul is saying, you know that not all pottery ends up looking exactly the same. Some of it is going to be shaped and made into a uh, a beautiful bowl for the, a king, but out of the same lump of, of just clay, other bowls and cups could be made for peasant people. It, who are you to say as, as the clay, what's going to end up happening with the clay? And P- Paul's point is this, who is it that are the honorable? I believe he's talking about in this context, the Jew and the Gentile. He's saying, who are you, O man, to say that the Jew should come to f- enter the kingdom of heaven apart from faith? That's not how it works. It's always by faith. It's going to be by faith. And if God's chosen it to be by faith, it's going to be by faith, regardless of what the Jew does with the law. It's always going to be faith. So those whom God has molded into those who are, who have been hardened to not receive salvation by faith, that's, that is, that is their, that is their burden to bear. Who are you, man, to say, God, you shouldn't have done it this way. And he explains this in greater detail in chapter 11. I encourage you to come back. Now look at 22, because he explains this a little bit more. But man, chapter 11, he just really, it's hard to understand 9 and 10 without chapter 11. So it's, it's also kind of hard to teach chapter 9 and 10 without chapter 11. So I encourage you to stick with us here. What if God, verse 22, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, Okay, he's willing. What if he endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Okay, now, who is Paul talking about? What is Paul talking about? First of all, he says, what if? It's kind of like a supposition. Like, is he, is he saying, like, this is really what happened? Or is he just saying, like, hypothetically speaking? And I don't know. But, but let's just say he's not just being hypothetical. Maybe he's just asking this question to get the people to really ponder what God is up to. He's willing. He's able to destroy people. But he was reserved. He was patient with them. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Who are these vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Who is it from the Old Testament that God patiently endured with, though he could have justly wiped them out because of their great sin against him? Who are these people that Paul calls prepared for destruction in context? I'm going to submit to you in context that it is the Jewish nation, the people of Israel. That's the whole context of 9, 10, and 11. And so what, what, uh, how did God endure with the nation of Israel who would prepare, who, who were, de- who were, how do you say it, prepared for destruction? How, how, how did he endure great, uh, endure with them? Patience. I'll go back to, um, just the wilderness experience, the 40 years. I mean, God gave the law to Moses. Moses walks down and on day one of the old, of the old covenant, day one, they've already violated like half of the 10 commandments. You can read the story. It's in Exodus where the scripture talks about how they all brought gold together and they put it in. And I think it was Aaron, somebody, they fashioned a golden calf and said, this golden calf is what brought us out of Egypt. This is what rescued us. And then, and then I think it was, I think it was Aaron. He lied about it and said, oh, Moses, you know, this, the gold kind of fell into the oven and now popped this golden calf. Yeah, right. I mean, I think my seven-year-old has better lies than that one. But the, but the point is 
there were times, plenty of times in the Old Testament, you can read them, where God even says to Moses, I'm going to destroy these people and we're going to start over with you. And then Moses interceded for him. It's like, God, you know, you've got these promises, you know, uh, your faithfulness, you know, etc. And God just endured, even though he was willing, he was more than willing to exercise, to demonstrate his wrath and his power. He was more than willing, but he endured with the nation of Israel, even though they were prepared for destruction. He endured with them. Now, what does prepared for destruction mean? Well, I want to ask the question, who prepared them for destruction? You see, if we think, how to say it, who, yeah, let's just ask it that way. Who, who prepared the, the Israelites in this passage, in this context? Who prepared them for destruction? Did God prepare them for destruction? Was it God's plan from the beginning that they just be destroyed one day? See, that's where the language, knowing the language a little bit is important. You see, he says here, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. The verb prepared, and I don't want to get into like this, this, this Greek, you know, grammar sort of, uh, boring lecture here, but the this verb, the voice of this verb, you, you have a couple of options. You have you know active, right? Where an active verb is where the subject is doing the action, right? A passive verb is where the subject is not doing the action, but the action is being done a lot of times by the the object of the verb. So what's happening here? This verb prepared for destruction is actually a passive voice, meaning the, the, the Israelites, the people, the, the vessels themselves are preparing themselves for destruction. That's the English, that's the grant, the Greek grammar. So to read it in that way with emphasizing the passive voice, it says, uh, God endured with much patience, these vessels of wrath which prepared themselves for destruction. So how did they prepare themselves for destruction? Well, I think it ultimately it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the, to the fall. And that's what Romans 5 talked about, that because of one man's sin, Adam, sin entered into the world and therefore all sinned, all prepared for destruction. They the humanity prepared itself for destruction. And so God, I think Paul is saying is he endured through the Old Testament, willing to exercise his power in destruction. We read about it, but he endured with much patience, these vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. They prepared themselves for destruction. He endured. Verse 23 And he did so, he endured with them, them being the Israelite people, he endured with them in the wilderness, in the promised land, and all the exiles. He endured with their rejection and their rebellion over and over and over. Look at this, verse 25, so cool. To make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. So what I hear Paul saying is, Guys, look, here's the, here's the truth about the Jews. You've got this message coming out of Jerusalem that in order to be a born-again believer, you have to convert to Judaism. Here's the truth about the, the Jewish people. The Jewish people, like all people, were prepared, had prepared themselves for destruction, right? And God, willing to destroy them because of their great rebellion against him, he endured with great patience these people, these Jews who were, had prepared themselves for destruction so that his great, the great riches of his mercy might be known to the entire world upon the vessels of mercy, which God prepared for before, beforehand for glory. Now, who prepared these vessels of mercy? Who prepared vessels of mercy? Did the vessel, which voice, remember? Is this active or passive? Well, this is active. This is very clear. Who is it that prepared these vessels for mercy? It was God. God prepared these. And this goes back to what Paul says in in chapter 8. What the law could not do, God did. The law could not prepare people to become vessels of mercy. 
but God can. God did. What the law could not do, weak through the flesh, God did by sending his only son to take on the sin of the world and sin being condemned in his body so that forgiveness of sins would be given to all people so that all who believe would now become these vessels of mercy which God prepared. God did pave the way. God's the one that did it. So I hear Paul sort of pulling the, the, the curtain back on the, the nobility, the, the uh, holiness, the holier-than-thou-ism of the Jewish people. Paul is saying, look, guys, they were vessels that prepared, they prepared themselves for destruction, and God would have destroyed them. But he didn't in order to show you and all who would believe, Jew and Gentile alike, I'll get to that in a second, of just how rich he is in his mercy. Because if God had destroyed the Jewish people, then where would Jesus have come from? You see? He endured with great, with great uh, patience the vessels of wrath, which had prepared themselves for destruction, the Jews, so that he would be able to express and show and demonstrate his mercy to the world through a Jewish man, Jesus, the God-man. So who were these vessels of mercy? Look at verse 24. Even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, hello, but also from among Gentiles. See, his point is this has never been just a Jewish thing. It has the Jews. It hasn't been a Jewish only thing. It hasn't been a Jewish um, uh, exclusive club. But it's also how do I say it? It's not been a uh, automatic. If you're born of Abraham, you're automatically in. He's like it's never been that way. It's always been about the promise, about faith in the promise. So there are there are Jews in the body of Christ. I mean, Paul's writing this. He he is one. But the big news is that the body of Christ, God planned from the beginning of time was that Gentiles would also be a part of the body of Christ as well. And the message again coming out of Jerusalem was that no, Gentiles aren't a part of this, only Jews. And in order to be a part of this, you have to become a Jew. So once you convert to Judaism, you're no longer a Gentile. And so you have to become a Jew by conversion through baptism into Judaism. And so where would Paul possibly go next to give evidence to these Gentile readers in Rome, that God, that the God of the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, always planned to have Gentiles included into his kingdom. Where would he go to prove that God always had this plan? He would go to the Jews' Bible itself, the Old Covenant, to prove, the Old Testament, to prove that this has always been the plan of God. And that's exactly what he does in the remaining verses. Verse 25, he says, also in Hosea, Hosea, that's an Old Testament passage, a beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. He says, I will call those who were not my people, my people. And to her who was not beloved, I will call her beloved. All right. So now this is a quote out of Hosea. And when Hosea is writing this, do you think Hosea has any clue about Gentiles and about you know, the forgiveness of sins for the world and all that stuff? I don't think so at all. I think Hosea is just trying to keep up with what God and the Holy Spirit is, is inspiring him to write in, in the Old Testament. But here's the promise. I will call those who are not my people, my people. I will call those who were not beloved, beloved. Now who were, quote, not God's people, in the Old Testament, in the time of Hosea, who was that? It was the Gentiles. Who was it that was not, quote unquote, beloved in the Old Testament? The Gentiles. So God pronounced through Hosea hundreds of years before the Christ that the day would come when those dirty, outcast Gentiles who were unloved rejects would one day be called my beloved people. See, Paul's going to explain this a little bit later in chapter 10 and 11. He's like, this hasn't been a secret. It's written everywhere. You just don't want to see it. The, the Jews just don't want to see it. They're so focused. Even the Christian Jews are so focused on Club Israel that they don't want to receive the truth that this has been for the world from the beginning. And so this idea of conversion to Judaism in order to be a part of the body of Christ, Paul's like, this is just absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. So it's not new. 
it's not new, but not very many understood the truth of God's promises that the Gentiles would be a part of this. So I can hear, you know, some, some, uh, devil's advocates in the group saying, okay, Paul, fine. But maybe there's, you know, some, maybe there's some extension of the Jew, this Jewish Christian thing to Gentiles. Okay. Maybe, maybe they'll be included in some sort of fashion. I can hear the objectors say, but they'll never, I mean, they'll never be the same inheritors of God's kingdom as the Jew, right? Well, look at verse 26. Hosea continues, and it shall be in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people in that place, wherever that place is, it will be said to them in that place. They shall be called the very sons of the living God. So we're not talking about, okay, fine. You can have a little place, you know, in the kingdom. We're talking about sonship. We're talking about inheritors as Paul writes in other places, co-heirs with Christ, 100% 100% dependence upon Jesus. You know, we just did our taxes. In fact, I just wrote our check yesterday for our state tax and our federal tax. And, you know, we get the, we have to write out the dependents who are our dependents, right? I've got three of them, the kids who are your dependents. Well, each one of my kids is as equally a dependent, according to the IRS, as any other of the, my dependents. They're all dependents, all three of them. What does a dependent mean? It means they depend upon me. What I hear God promising through Hosea and Paul is making it clear. He's bringing it to the forefront is that the sons of God, whether they're Jewish originally or Gentile originally, there is no difference between them. They are all dependents. They're all sons of the living God. And he even says in that place where it was said to them, you shall not be my people in that very place. You'll be called sons of the living God. Now, I don't know exactly the place. I just... I just don't, maybe you do, that he's referring to. Maybe he's talking about Jerusalem. You know, maybe it was in that place in Jerusalem where it was pronounced, you know, uh, you are not my people. In that town of Jerusalem, that physical place of Israel, of Jerusalem, it will be pronounced that you are sons. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But I think it it, it definitely, it's got to be referring to the heart, to the heart. In the very heart of a man, before they were born again, it was declared, you are not my people. You are sons of Adam, not sons of mine. In that very place, your heart, your spiritual core, where it was once said, you are not, you as Gentiles are not sons. In that very place, you are now declared sons of the living God in the heart of a Gentile, a Gentile. Dirty, rotten, scoundrel Gentiles. He quotes not only Hosea in the Old Testament to give evidence that Gentiles are going to be a part of this, but he quotes Isaiah here in verse 27 real quickly. He says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of sons of Israel be like sand of the sea, it is the remnant who will be saved. Paul is quoting Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah, you could not get a better prophet, a bigger name. You could not name drop a bigger name, prophetic name, prophet name, name of a prophet than than Isaiah in all of Israel. And Paul is quoting Isaiah saying that it's not simply all the Israelites who are going to be a part of this salvation, this conversion, this kingdom of heaven. It's a remnant. It's a portion that are going to be a part of it. For the Lord, F-O-R, verse 28, for the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly, Isaiah says. Verse 29, and just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of us, talking about God, had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and we would have resembled Gomorrah, which was what? Total annihilation. They were destroyed by God. So what is Paul now saying from Isaiah. So he quoted Hosea saying, not my people are going to be my people. The Gentiles are going to be in on this thing. And now he's saying, Isaiah, it says, Isaiah agrees with me. 
He's using Isaiah to prove his point that not all Israel is Israel. Isaiah himself says that just because of the sand of the seashore doesn't mean that you're part of the salvation. It's just a remnant. It's a portion. It's a small piece that are actually going to be saved. Why? Because the vast majority are not going to discover it by faith. The vast majority of Israel are going to think that they are in Club Israel because their daddy's 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 daddy was this guy named Israel. And that's not how it works. It's never been how it works. And there's a stumbling stone laid in Zion that they're tripping over because they will not mix, they will not come to faith in Jesus. So the bride of Christ is, is, is not only Gentile, there is Jew represented. And again, chapter 11, Paul explains this incredibly well. You should read ahead and we'll get there eventually in a couple of weeks. But the ultimate summation is, yes, there has been a hardening. There has been a partial hardening of a part, perhaps even the majority of the nation of Israel. Not total, not complete but a partial so that out of jeal- so that the gospel would go to the gentiles and his hope Paul's hope is that out of jealousy the gospel will return back to the to the Jew it's not a complete hardening it's not a total hardening it's not an eternal hardening even we'll get to that in chapter 11 but Paul says here that there's always a remnant that would be saved and the remnant would be saved just as the gentile would be saved by faith a portion of the Jewish people would see it. They would get it. They would understand it. And without that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Isaiah foretold it. And Paul is experiencing it himself as a son himself of Benjamin, one of the tribes. So what's Paul's whole point in this whole thing? And this is where we get to our conclusion, which we led with. What shall we say then? Here's the conclusion. We've already read these fir- these verses today and we read them last week. Here's the conclusion of chapter 9. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. They didn't run after it. They didn't will for it. They didn't pursue righteousness. They attained righteousness. Even the righteousness which is by faith. Gentiles found it because they found faith. Dependency. I think of the woman, right, who uh, begged Jesus to come and heal his da- her daughter. And Jesus, she was, she was a, a Syrophoenician woman. She was not a Jew. And Jesus actually said to her, you know, I called her a dog. And it's like, you know, don't you know that, uh, that, uh, that the, this meat and this drink is only for the sons of Israel? Why are you coming, you know? And then the woman said to her, but even the ma- even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. Remember this? And then Jesus is like, I haven't found such faith in all of Israel. This was a Jewish woman ex- ex- expressing her faith, her dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus went and healed the, woman, healed the daughter. She said, like a dog, the only way for a dog under the table to get any food is for the master to flick some of the food off dependency. That dog is living in dependency upon the master to flick some food off. And she's like, that's me. That's me, Jesus. I'm here expressing my absolute dependency upon you that if you don't come to intervene, my daughter's dead. And Jesus is like, yes, that's it. That's the faith that I've come to establish, come to see. And so many in Israel haven't, haven't got, are not, are not there because they have, uh, there's this stumbling stone of faith in Jesus because they have become so proud, so arrogant in them of the their heritage and their law keeping. So Paul's point, the Gentiles, they got it. Not all, of course, but they got included, those who found it by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, they did not arrive at that law. They didn't get there. They didn't get to righteousness. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. So Israel, I mean, the Jews didn't even pursue it, but they got it because it was by faith. But the the Jews were pursuing, but they were pursuing something as if it were by works, not by faith. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Verse 33, just as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion 
a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This is Paul's great point of chapter 9. There was a, as he explains in chapter 11, there was a hardening partial of the Jewish people by means of the law, by means of this these promises given to the, quote, Jewish people, there was a lack of understanding that this was simply by faith. There was a hardening so that the gospel would go to the ends of the world. God endured with great patience, great endurance, great patience, these vessels, the Jews who had prepared themselves for destruction by being of Adam. He, he, he was with them day in and day out through this entirety of the Old Testament. And he did it for the purpose of being able to show to the rest of the world, i.e. the Gentiles, his great mercy and grace and favor that would be available to the entire world by and through Jesus, who would come through the Jewish nation. And so our journey marker to wrap up chapter nine is this. Regardless of your ethnicity, Jew, Gentile, regardless of the ethnicity, regardless of where you come from, regardless of who your daddy's daddy's daddy is, regardless of that, faith in Jesus is the only way. It's the only way in. There is no other way other than faith in Jesus. And yes, the Jew was stumbling over this in Paul's day. There was a hardening because of their adherence to the Mosaic law. There was this partial hardening to it. And, and Paul, he wishes, and he even gets to, in chapter 10 some more, he wishes that that wouldn't be the case, that they would see and believe and receive. But he understands that there's a hardening of their hearts against it because of their confidence in their flesh and their ability. We see that in Gentiles as well. Maybe not in adherence to the Mosaic law, but just in adherence to the rule, uh, the um, knowledge of good and evil. It's a blindness. But but Paul's ultimate point, I believe, is this: guys, this is such foolishness coming out of Jerusalem that you have to be converted to Israel to become a part of the body of Christ, because. Don't you realize that the body of Israel, the nation of Israel, were destined for destruction, but God endured with patience so that this gospel could get to you? So why are we trying to convert people back to Israel? This is not about physical Israel. This is about those who are of the promise. Isaiah said it. Hosea said it. And I, Paul, am just explaining it as best as I can. And so how do we here and now in 2020, you know, interact with this? Is there a, a point at which we can be as consumed with not necessarily nationality or even ethnicity, but be consumed with perhaps denominationalism? I've heard many people say that if you're not a part of this particular denomination, that you aren't truly saved uh, sacramentarianism, where if you don't do these certain things, i.e. the sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church, or even the sacraments of the Baptist Church, of, of Lord's Supper and, and uh, baptism, if you don't do these certain things, other things like in the Pentecostal world of, of baptism uh, and, and the Holy Spirit as expressed by speaking in tongues, etc. These, these, if you don't do these things, then you're not really in. Then you're not really a part of the kingdom of heaven. And I would hear Paul as vehemently as he is arguing against what was common in his day, the add-ons to Jesus. I would, if he was in our culture today, I would hear him, I believe, as adamant today as he was then. No, 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 no. This is not Jesus plus your certificate of baptism. This is not Jesus plus your attendance in a small group, a Sunday school. This is not Jesus plus your financial record keeping, giving to a church, a, 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 a charity. This is not Jesus plus whether or not you got married in the church or out of the church. This is not Jesus plus whatever the things are of today. 
It's Jesus, faith in Jesus plus nothing. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we will get to this thing that he calls peace and joy. The mindset on the spirit is peace and life. The mindset on the flesh is death. And so I encourage us all, whoever you are, if anybody's even out there still listening at this point, is where where are the the hangups in our thinking that we have we are basing our union our fellowship our intimacy our closeness with the god of the universe we're basing it on something other than jesus and his finished work are we basing it on our ability to be a great parent are we basing it on our ability to be some sort of community you know leader or 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 church you know, serve, servant or, or, you know, whatever. What are we basing it on? The fact that my grandpa was a pastor. I've heard so many different things of what our, our hope is really based on. And if it's not Jesus plus nothing, then it's, I don't know if it's, uh, then we definitely are not going to be experiencing joy, peace and life. That's chapter nine. Um, I'll say this as we transition into our discussion group. Many, many people, good meaning people, take chapter 9 in a totally different interpretation to the point where they say that chapter 9 is about God individually selecting some people for heaven and God individually selecting some people for hell. Um, I don't see that at all in the context of chapter 9, 10 or 11. All of it is about the inclusion of the Gentiles, the partial hardening of the Jew for the inclusion of the Gentile. But even that isn't a total and final exclusion of the Jew. We'll get to that in chapter 11. So um, for, you know, I, I like I said in the discussion group last week, I don't want to make chapter 9, 10 and 11 an, an attack against this thing called Calvinism, because I don't think chapter 9, 10, 11 is an attack against Calvinism, and it certainly isn't an attack, uh, uh, evidence for Calvinism. I think it is an explanation of why are you converting to Judaism when not even the Jew, when the Jews themselves were objects of destruction, objects of wrath, vessels of destruction that made themselves. And Paul's like, open your eyes and see this is something spiritual. It's a whole new kingdom. It's a whole new world. It's the kingdom of heaven that you've been born into. So um, hopefully that makes some good sense out of chapter 9. We'll go into chapter 10 uh, next week. But I encourage you very, very much to follow this link that uh, Brian put. And I pinned it here in the comments. You can scroll up and down and see that link. We're going to uh, transition over there. For anyone who would like to have some, uh, some discussion time, about you know what we've uh, seen, we'll, we'll, um, any questions about what we uh, what we're looking seeing in in Romans, Romans nine, Romans at large, maybe just even um, something not at all having to do with Romans at all, uh, but in our culture today where there seems to be such radical tension, ethnic ethnically and in, in racially. You know, it's just refreshing to hear the gospel. As Paul says, guys, you think that converting people to Judaism is what this is about? No, it's a whole new creature. It's a whole new place. It's a whole new world. And whether you're Jew, Gentile, white, black, whatever, it's faith in Jesus alone that gets you in. And in other passages, he talks about how, for we are all now one in Christ Jesus. And so... I encourage you to, uh, to join in with the discussion. I'm going to run, grab my headphones so there's not any echo on my end. Um, so give me about two minutes and um, we'll be back and do the discussion time. Uh, you just follow that link. And once I get it up and running, I should be able to, uh, you know, give you access into the, to the meeting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the good news that we don't have to become... Uh, Jews in order to be yours. In fact, as Paul, I believe, just said, the Jews were uh, had 
vessels that they had made themselves objects of destruction, just as the Gentiles had. But you endured with them to show your great mercy to the whole world. And for that, we say thank you. And so, Father, I pray that we would um, be moved by your great mercy towards us and allowing us Gentiles to be a part of something that, yes, was specifically only at the time understood to be promised to the Jew. But you knew better. You knew the big picture, but they didn't. And now you've allowed us to be a part of your big plan of life eternal. This world will go to pot. It will. Unfortunately, it will. It already has, and it will continue. And the hope is in a rescue from this domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. And I pray that that message be heard by those listening here now, but by those in the world, that your great rescue awaits those who just simply trust you and depend upon you. So, Father, as we transition into this discussion time, I pray that you would lead it, guide it, maybe edifying, and I pray that those would join in who would like to contribute or just to listen. It'd just be great to see each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.